Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to Sprout Inc.'s 2021 third quarter results conference call. At this time, all participants are in listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press star followed by the zero for operator assistance at any time. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded today, November 5th, 2021. On behalf of the speakers that follow, listeners are cautioned that today's presentation and the responses to questions may contain forward-looking statements within the meaning of the safe harbor provision of the Canadian Provincial Securities Law. Forward-looking statements involve risks and uncertainties, and undue reliance should not be placed on such statements. Certain material factors or assumptions are implied in making forward-looking statements, and actual results may differ materially from those expressed or implied in such statements. For additional information about factors that may cause actual results to differ materially from expectations and about material factors or assumptions applied in making forward-looking statements, please consult the MDNA for the quarter and SPROTS other filings with the Canadian and U.S. securities regulators. I will now turn the conference over to Mr. Peter Groskoff. Please go ahead, Mr. Groskoff. And thanks for joining us today. On the call with me today are Whitney George, the President of Sprott, our Chief Financial Officer, Kevin Hibbert, and John Champaglia, the Chief Executive Officer of Sprott Asset Management. Our third quarter 2021 results were released this morning and are available on our website, where you can also find the financial statements and NDNA. I'd like to begin the call by providing a bit of context, which I believe is important when considering our quarter. This has been a difficult year for gold and silver given their pullbacks, with much choppy sideways price movement. Investor interest was tested as metals took a backseat to eye-watering appreciation in the equity and crypto markets. Precious metals do not usually fare well during times of maximum confidence and compressed volatility. Given that backdrop, I believe our business performed exceptionally well during the quarter. The big story this quarter was the launch of the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust in July. Sprott has quickly emerged as the world's most in-demand physical uranium vehicle and has now grown to more than $1.6 billion in AUM. Yesterday, we announced we are expanding our uranium business with the addition of URNM, one of the world's leading uranium equity ETFs. John will speak more about both SPUT and URNM in a few minutes. All of Sprott's businesses are currently growing, including our streaming and royalty strategy, which raised $400 million in Q3. And finally, subsequent to quarter end, our AUM reached 
a 20 billion milestone for the first time. This is a significant milestone for our business, and I would like to thank all of our employees for their efforts and for all of our client support. We have a long way to go. With that, I'll pass it over to Kevin for a look at our financial results for the quarter. Thanks, Peter, and uh, good morning, everyone. I'll start on slide five, which provides a summary of our AUM as at September 30th of this year. AUM was $19 billion this quarter, up $466 million, or 3% from June 30th of this year, and was up $1.6 billion, or 9% from December 31st of last year. In the quarter, we benefited from the UPC transaction, which added $630 million to our physical trusts at inception, followed by another $670 million of uranium trust inflows and market value appreciation. On a full-year basis, we also benefited from strong inflows into our physical silver trust earlier in the year, coupled with continued inflows into our lending segment this quarter, as Peter noted earlier. Also, uh, to Peter's point, subsequent to the quarter end, we did surpass the $20 billion mark in AUM, which is a new historic high for our shareholders. Moving now to slide six. Uh, slide six provides a brief look into our three and nine month earnings. Adjusted base EBITDA in the quarter was $16.7 million, which was up $4.7 million or 39% from the prior period. And on a year to date basis, Adjusted base EBITDA was $46.4 million, up $17 million, or 58% from the prior period. On a quarter and year-to-date basis, we benefited from the acquisition of UPC and the subsequent market value appreciation and inflows into those assets. We also benefited from strong inflows into our lending products this quarter and into the physical silver trust earlier in the year. Finally, we saw very robust mining equity origination activity in the first half of the year, coupled with strong ongoing AUM development in our brokerage segment. For more information on our revenues, expenses, and EBITDA, you can refer to the supplemental information section of this presentation, as well as our third quarter 2021 MD&A filed earlier this morning. With that said, I'll pass things over to John. Great. Thanks, Kevin, and good morning, all. I'm just going to cover the exchange-listed uh, products for the quarter, and we had a very robust quarter of net flows at $593 million. And I really want to point out the, the star of the show, which was the Sprott Physical Uranium Trust, which in just about six weeks in the quarter attributed $459 million. So that mid-August number, August 17th, is when the at-the-market capital raising mechanism uh, became effective. And we've seen just tremendous response to that from all investor types from right around the globe. This has really helped us overall in the quarter. As Peter said, gold and silver have been kind of sputtering around for the last few months. And the introduction of the uranium trust has been very helpful for our business. Uh, post the quarter end, October sales continue to be very robust. Uh, we've booked already $329 million for, for the month of October. Uh, and even in November, in the first few days, um, we're, we're continuing to see, to see the same kind of momentum. 
just moving to the next slide, I'll get uh, I'll give everybody a little bit more color around uh, the Uranium Trust, better known as SPUT, uh, for simplicity. Uh, I think this will go down as one of our most successful fund launches and acquisitions uh, of, of its brought history. On July 19th, when we acquired UPC and reorganized uh, the company to the new trust, the net asset value in the fund was $630 million. Fast forward to October 31st, we're at 1.6 billion U.S. dollars. So, the the combination of market appreciation and the price of uranium combined with the inflows from the ATM uh, have really made a, a a big mark in a very short period of time. I think this is a really great case study for our shareholders around taking a vehicle uh, that was a little bit antiquated and taking all of our knowledge and expertise and modernizing it. I think a lot of this knowledge that we bring to bear has come from over 10 years of running physical commodity funds and having a shareholder base of over 250,000 gives us incredible insights to leverage. Adding the daily net asset value and holdings every day provided much needed transparency and a very opaque uranium market. And we feel as though the ATM is one of the most investor friendly uh, uh, capital raising mechanisms out there with very low friction costs and really is designed to provide real-time liquidity when the market is asking for it. This now uh, positions us as the largest and most liquid physical uranium fund in the world, and this is really important because when we made the acquisition, I said very early on that I felt the fund was way too small to really make a difference. And what I meant by that is that at $630 million, it just wasn't big enough to get a lot of institutional money involved in the trust. I think with the size now approaching $2 billion, we're having very different conversations with institutions, much bigger in size, much bigger tickets, uh, and much more global. So we're very excited about the response. The NYSE ARCA listing application is in progress. We're working in conjunction with them to get the application ready. It is not yet, but it will be this year. And I'm just going to reiterate that we still believe we're in very early innings of a new bull market, which, which will support um, our recent acquisition news yesterday of buying um, URNM. Just going to move to the next slide here about um, the uranium market, because it is a very different market than we're, we're, we are traditionally have dealt with in, in precious metals. It's a much more opaque market. It's a very OTC market. And I think what what the new trust has really helped to do is encourage more activity in the spot market, more liquidity, and more price transparency. On slide nine here, you can see how uh, the trust has acquired pounds of uranium since the ATM commenced on August 6th, as well as the cumulative pounds acquired. And this uh, chart is a little bit out of date uh, going to October 26th, but I can tell you as of today, uh, we're through uh, 18 million uranium purchased since the ATM. And I'm just going to give everyone some context. So UPC, the vehicle we acquired, was, was launched back in 2005. Just had a little bit of fun here, but it took them 5,911 days to purchase 18.1 million pounds of yellow cake. It's taken spot 110 days to buy the equivalent amount. Just to give you a sense of the power of this vehicle in terms of its capital raising ability. Moving to the next slide, um, this daily discovery that the trust is providing, I think we've received really great feedback from the marketplace on the value that's providing as well as the liquidity and uh, activity in the spot market, which 
historically has not been where utilities buy and has, has languished. So all the feedback we're getting from institutions and retail investors has been very positive on what the trust has been doing. All right, and let's pivot over to slide 11, URNM. That's the NYSE, NYSE ARCA ticker for the North Shore Global Uranium ETF. We announced uh, an agreement yesterday, late in the day, that we were going to acquire the licensing rights to this index and reorganize it. It will become, upon board approvals, shareholder approvals, uh, it will turn into the Sprott Uranium Miners ETF. It will continue with the same ticker, the same holdings, the same underlying index. We're very pleased uh, with Tim Rotolo and, and his team. They've done a great job in terms of building this ETF from a very small number uh, up towards $900 million in size. It's had over $600 million of inflows year to date. Its one-year performance of 230% is ranked number two out of 2,504 non-levered ETFs that I could find on ETF.com. So it's had tremendous success in terms of performance for its investors and shareholders. Essentially, the reorganization, once it's completed in Q1, will just basically turn the fund into a new Sprott fund. As I said, the holdings will not change of the index. And we're very excited about adding this to our suite of products because one thing we've learned over the last few months is that many uranium investors not only are interested in the physical, but they're also involved in the equities. And we think this is the perfect pairing and complement uh, putting the physical trust along with the uranium equity product. Very high overlap globally around the world across every investment type. And I think it's fair to say that we've got two market-leading products uh, in the uranium equity and physical uh, category. So we're very excited about that. And with that, I will turn it over to Whitney. Thank you, John. Um, so I was just going to speak to our managed equities business. Um, uh, a year ago uh, this time, uh, it was the star uh, of the show, and uh, we've taken a bit of a back seat here in the last quarter. Um, but again, as been mentioned, uh, gold uh, equities um, have been struggling with the uh, underlying precious metal prices. Um, the team performed very well in the third quarter relative to our um, passive, relative to passive ETFs and, um, and most of our active competitors. Um, so we have, um, you know, we've held things together, and again, the success in other parts of our business has allowed us to continue to invest in what I think is the, uh, the leading team in the world in uh, mining equities. Uh, we've seen a pretty sharp swing uh, over the last year um, in redemptions. Um, they've slowed significantly. Uh, there have been modest um, positive cash flows. Uh, we've got some new institutional arrangements, um, both in SMAs and in our special situation strategy. And gold stock valuations are trading at multi-year multi lows, um, maybe even historic lows. And uh, one would expect, now that value investing is um, coming back into vogue uh, in a rising rate environment, or potentially rising rate environment, um, that uh, generalists um, are going to discover this sector. So um, we remain excited about our prospects, um, you know, as we, we wait for our turn again. Thank you. Peter? Thanks, Whitney. Turning to slide 13, our private capital strategies continue to perform well. Combined AUM for this segment is now approximately 1.4 billion. 
Lending Fund 2 deployed $63 million in Q3, and de- deployments are continuing to be strong. The fund is de- generating attractive returns for LPs and for Sprott Seed Capital. Our streaming and royalty fund had a great quarter, securing $400 million in institutional commitments. The fund has also been actively putting capital to work through new deals, deploying $105 million to date, year-to-date. I'll move to slide 14 for a look at the brokerage segment. Our brokerage businesses in Canada and the U.S. are both continuing to perform well and make more meaningful contributions to our overall results. In Canada, the institutional brokerage is benefiting from high activity levels, both in originations, which generate commission revenue, and in advisory work with emerging juniors. Our U.S. brokerage team is continuing their efforts to convert assets under administration to fee-earning AUM with approximately $450 million converted year-to-date. They are also launching new products for high net worth individuals and recently completed the first close of a new pipe strategy. Moving now to slide 15. Sprott is firing on all cylinders, delivering exceptional performance, performance and AUM growth despite volatility in precious metals. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Gold and silver prices have recovered since the quarter end as investors seek inflation protection, and we believe that they will fare well in the face of tapering. And to us, the upside is much greater than the downside. We sense that the movement into alternative assets in our sector is gaining momentum. The Uranium Trust, which is already in addition to already generating meaningful royalty-like revenue income to Sprott, also demonstrates the potential to launch new products on our exchange-listed products platform. To that point, the URNM transaction will add a compelling equity offering to our minerals equities businesses. Our private strategies are performing well, generating new capital, adding new LPs to a steadily expanding institutional client base. As usual, we remain active in reviewing add-on funds, global validation of niche managers in our focus areas. That concludes our remarks for today's call, and I'll now turn it over to the operator for some Q&A. Operator? At this time, in order to ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchstone phone. And to remove yourself from the queue, just press the pound key. Once again, that's star one for questions. Our first question go from, will be from the line of Jeff Kwan from RBC Capital Markets. You may begin. Hi, good morning. Um, just first question was on compensation, base compensation expense as well as on the G&A expense. Um, how are you thinking with, with the, the new transaction kind of pro forma 
what the run rate looks like, and then also extrapolating that in terms of how you think that may evolve uh, in terms of growth in 2022. Hey, Jeff, Jeff Kevin here. Sorry, I'm, I'm not at all understanding that question. So you're, what are you trying to correlate? You're trying to correlate compensation to the acquisition? Well, yeah, just with, with yesterday's announcement, too, it's just, you know, where, how to think about where the run rate is right now on compensation expense and genie expense. And then just as you enter, you know, 2022, do you expect that to grow at, you know, 3% rate or some other type of growth rate? Oh, okay, I got you. Okay. So on the SG&A front, um, you know, one of the good things about our business is it is, uh, at least from an, from an infrastructure perspective, um, people processes technology around our AUM. I would say uh, it, the business is, 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 is very scalable um, at our current level. So uh, to me, the SGNA is probably, I, I think you'd be safe uh, if you had a number in and around four bucks a quarter. I think that's, I think that's, I think that's realistic. I don't think we would get to that number for, for now, but the biggest driver of our SGNA uh, this year is uh, just like we noted in the MDNA, Jeff. It's it's the it's the regulatory and insurance cost that came on stream last summer when we started trading on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, obviously, now we're we're having to be 404 compliant. There's more continuous disclosure requirements, and obviously, it's a more litigious environment. So your DNO insurance goes up. So that's really what drove where the numbers are there. Not so much these uh, additional assets coming on board because essentially the last few acquisitions we've done were largely ones that we could just plug into our existing uh, uh, operations. Uh, and then when it comes to comp, I would say that our compensation is not driven directly by any particular acquisition. Uh, if you look at our information circular and even the disclosures we made in the press release today, the main driver of our comp is how the overall organization is doing from a net revenues perspective and uh, from an uh, EBITDA and operating margin perspective. So I think if you look at if you look at how we're doing or how you expect us to do in your own models um, and just look at what the compensation ratio is today um, and where you think it's going to run to at the end of the year, I think it'll be a little bit higher than what you see now at 39%. You can just plop that into your models and just extrapolate what the comp number would look like based on what the overall earnings of the business look like. Okay. Great. And just my second question was on the fundraising side, can you talk about what the, the mix in, it was in the early days of your private strategies and how it's different in, in terms of what you're seeing today? And, and by mix, I mean stuff like geographic, breakout types of investors um, that you're bringing into these uh, strategies. Okay. Um, I can maybe handle that. Uh, the, the mix hasn't changed that much. These are mostly large endowments, pensions, um, mostly from the U.S. It is getting a bit more global in terms of the interest base. Um, and also, we have put in place a couple of feeder funds, which allow high net worth individuals or credit sort to access those funds. Those feeders are quite small still, but it's um, a different source of capital. Um, we imagine it will be quite sticky as well. So we're, we're, we're growing those feeders, hopefully going forward. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks. 
question comes from the line of Gary Ho from the Stardance Capital. You may begin. Yeah, thanks, and uh, good morning. I just want to go back to the URNM transaction. Can you provide a bit more color in terms of the deal metric, whether there's any earnouts, and also maybe talk about the fee um, arrangement side? Yeah, hey, hey, Gary, it's John here. Yeah, at this point, we're not um, providing all the all the metrics on that. Um, we're still in the process of working through uh, not only our own uh, ETF trust board, but also the ETC trust board where the existing ETF is housed. Um, until we move further along in that pro process, uh, we're not going to disclose the terms. But I think it's fair to say that the um, you know, the valuation metrics are, are very similar to, to prior transactions that we've done in the recent past. Got it. We won't okay, be surprised. Yeah, and, and any thoughts on, uh, I guess I can check out what, what the management fees they're charging today, but any thoughts on uh, potentially changing those fees or are you planning to, to keep that unchanged? Yeah, but, so the ETF has a unitary fee where it's kind of an all-in fee. Everything is embedded in, in a flat fee of 85 basis points. Uh, at this point, we're, we're not planning any changes with that. Perfect. Okay. Great. Thanks. And then next question, uh, just within the exchange listed segment, there's a new commission line in there. Just wondering what that is related to and what are the drivers behind those commissions? Uh, if I'm going to um, model this out, looking out. Sure. Uh, so the trust document um, discloses all the details. If you want, if you want us to send it to you, we, we're happy to do that after the call. Essentially, when we raise new capital and acquire more uranium, uh, the, the trust is able to charge a 1% commission. And so what you're seeing there, as, we're, as we've been buying material, we've been applying that commission, and that basically compensate us, compensates us buying uranium, which is a lot of work relative to buying other commodities. But I should view that as a one as a one time when you when you buy it. Like if, obviously if you buy That's more right. it's, it's a it's a yeah, it's a one time fee and, and that structure carried over from Uranium Participation Corp. Right, but I but I would say, Gary, that um, it, it is a core part of uh, what we do in this business and how you manage um, acquiring and, and exiting uranium. So um, uh, just keep that in mind too when you're when you're looking at that line. Okay, and and what happens on the the, the other way when you sell uranium? Like if, if the AUM go goes down, how, how does that work? Yeah, so we don't sell any uranium in the, in the trust. It's uh, sequestered permanently. Okay. Yeah, and then my last question, on, on the lending segment, um, when I look at the AUM increase, it was 44% sequentially from June to, to September. But the management fees went up 2.7x. Um, can you help me bridge the, the two? Sure. Are there other commitment fees? Yeah, great, great, great catch there, Gary. So um, <clears throat> all that's happening there is in, the, in those specific closed-end products, the way it works is when an institution comes in, um, a sizable one at that, uh, like what we uh, benefited from, they're actually expected to make a catch-up payment on the management fees that would have otherwise been charged throughout the, throughout the rest, throughout the, the previous 
months in the year. So if you're coming in in Q3, you're having to catch up for you know all the way back to January. So that's that's why the the numbers wouldn't really be correlated as nicely as you would have thought for your for your modeling purposes. Okay, got it. Okay, so I I should still use that blended uh, management fee rate that. Yeah, yeah, I would. Exactly, yeah. It's it's only because these folks came in and then had to make the catch up payment. It's it's not, yeah. Okay, makes makes sense. Um, And then maybe just last one for for Peter. Um, Just on the uranium side, any other potential targets, not necessarily in the name, but like uh, other products that you could be look looking looking for. Um, we don't want to name anything specific. We're looking at the spectrum of decarbonization minerals, and we always have, by the way. Um, but we have pretty high hurdles for making an investment. Um, we you know, need to be careful that we can deliver a long-term growing vehicle for our shareholders. We're looking to build royalty-like income on a large asset base, not just to do you know, specific one-off deals. So... The hurdles are pretty high. We put a lot of effort into structuring these um, funds and strategies so that they offer a material improvement to what's out there already. That's kind of been our modus operandi um, in terms of getting into new businesses. If we can do it better than anyone else and we can make it more liquid. So look, it's, it's a huge growing new world. And I think people are increasingly aware of the fact that, hey, we underinvested in all of these sectors for 30 years. And now we need all these minerals to power a green grid. And there's a bit of a land rush into not just uh, metals, but also the underlying mines. And it's a very productive opportunity for investment. It's a really neat, uh, you know, I think globally scalable opportunity. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks for the call. That's it for me. And our next question on the line of Graham Writing from TD Securities. You may begin. Now, Peter, are there other um, sort of clean metals that you're looking at besides uh, uranium and, you know, I guess silver falls in that bucket? There are, but we don't want to comment on the specifics. Okay. okay. Sorry about that. <clears throat> Just okay. uh, it's like they can hear us coming, so we got to be quiet about what we're what we're up to next. <laughs> well, I'll take that as a good question if you can't answer it. Um, URNM, are you are you essentially buying this fund? I just want to be clear because you did, you sort of used the language. You know, you're acquiring licensing rights. But I just want to be clear, are you essentially buying this fund similar to how you've done in the past? Yeah, Grant, yeah, it's John here. Yeah, that, that's essentially it. I know the language is a little bit uh, confusing, but essentially we will be acquiring it uh, by launching a, a parallel vehicle and basically taking in all the assets. Um, but it is, it is an acquisition. Okay. I think uh, what it Kevin? does do, Graham, uh, sorry to interrupt. Uh, yep. What it does do is it speaks to the value of the business that John and his team built over, you know, five years. We looked at a number of different options for housing our ETF business in the U.S. We tried um, some things that didn't work. 
And John and Arthur and their team did a great job providing us with our own infrastructure so that we could do these types of deals. And it's a, I think it's a very valuable, uh, a very valuable business going forward. Okay, understood. Uh, Kevin, just a couple of the expense questions. Just first, what was driving the higher your trailer fee expenses? Like around three million a quarter. What was driving the big big jump there? Uh, I'll have to get back to you on that one. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, I just don't have the I just don't have the answer in front of me. Okay. Uh, and then you mentioned the comp ratio. I think I just want to make sure I got your message right here. But the comp yep. ratio for 2021, you're, you're suggesting is fairly reflective of what the business should be operating at going forward. So if I think about operating leverage here within the business, it's not going to come from a lower comp ratio over time. It's probably going to come from the scale that you would get just from sort of less growth on, you know, SG&A and your other expense lines. Is that, is that yeah, I think you, about leverage? Yeah, I would, I, would, I would say the latter part of what you said is, is spot on. The former part's a little off. I, I, I didn't say that the current number uh, is a run rate. What I was actually saying is that the number is probably going to be a little bit higher than that. So the 39% that you see right now, it'll probably get up a little bit closer to what you saw um, coming out of last year, which was around 43%. Um, and that's, but, but that actually does speak to what you're, what you're saying, Graham, which is, you know, earnings are, are up right now um, significantly. Um, we're, we're, we're looking forward to having another sh very strong quarter uh, come Q4, but uh, the comp ratio is, is most likely going to be flat, um, and if anything, slightly lower even um, than where it finished last year. It's just this quarter, it's, it's I, I would say, a, a little lower than what, uh, what's, what's actually going to be the reality, but all for the reasons you just mentioned in, in the last half of your statement. Okay. Yeah, that's it for me. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not showing any further questions in this queue. I'd like to turn the call back over to Peter to call for any closing remarks. Uh, thanks, operator, and thank you, everyone, for participating in this call. We appreciate your interest in Sprott, and we look forward to speaking with you again after our year-end results. And this will conclude the conference call. Thank you for participating. You may not disconnect. Have a great day. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. 
With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.